As I was considering the message this week, I felt to continue on the topic of faith. And the phrase that came to me was our confession of faith. Our confession of faith. Um, And it's the idea that our words are significant. The words that we speak in life, um, they're powerful. And, you know, just from the natural perspective, sometimes we talk and, you know, we can talk a lot. And, you know, some of us more than others, but there's, there's still, there's talking that goes on. And, you know, sometimes we think, well, words don't really matter. I mean, we say a lot of words, right? And, and sometimes when you hear, you know, people saying words, you know, maybe they shouldn't say, we say, well, lightning didn't strike them, right? So I don't know. And, and they're just going on in their way. It didn't seem like there's any consequence for their words. Um, and so we don't, instantly see the fruit of wrong words um, or a wrong confession. And we don't instantly see the fruit of right words or, or a right confession either, but they do come, as we can see from the scripture. In fact, we're going to look at an example where it took 38 years and then the, the, uh, the good fruit of a good confession came. But what I want to just look at with you is the power and the potential of a good confession, of the confession of faith. Now, Revelation 12, 11, it talks about those who are overcomers with the Lord, and it says, they overcame uh, the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they didn't love their lives unto death. You know, we don't love our, you know, that, those are all kind of intertwined together. But those who are overcomers, one of the reasons they overcome is their word, or you know, in the Greek, it's uh, testimony. It can mean spoken evidence, right? It's recorded. What they said is entered into evidence. It's written down. Now, if there's not enough reasons, you know, we can consider that our words are written down and recorded, and. You know, that's kind of scary because in Revelation, it talks about how the books, plural, are opened. And it seems like, you know, we probably have some books written down with what we did, maybe what we said. And when we're, when we're standing there, we're probably like, Lord, I hope all of those words that I, I would take back, I hope they're all under the blood. The, you know, uh, through repentance, as we've been looking at in our Bible study, Right? God can erase those things when we come to him with, with forgiveness and repentance and so forth. But you know, there's also consequences for our word that can be different than forgiveness, as we looked at. But, but there's an aspect to our words, but really it's, it's our responses to things as well. Um, and you know, our response to situations we go through that are in, intrinsically tied to whether we're going to obtain the victory, whether we're going to overcome, um, and you know, to reign with Christ, or also to reign in life, right? Through having a victorious spirit in every situation we face. But I was really just struck by the power of our words, because we sometimes we just forget about it. We just well, it's just talk, but there's power, both for good and for evil. Or as we can. Think of Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 12, death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
And those who love it, right? Those who love to say what, say it one way or say it the other, we're all going to eat the fruit depending on what we love to talk about, what we love to say, how we love to respond. You know, there's power in our tongue and in our words to produce fruit unto death or unto life. And, you know, something I've realized from the scriptures when you're looking at people's confessions and, and words and so forth, it's this power that comes from our words is almost always a choice. It's like a commitment, um, you know, that we have to choose to be one way or the other. And we have to make that commitment to, if we want to obtain the fruit, of course, we're considering good fruit. We want the good fruit. You know, James indicates this when he has talk, asked that question in James 3.11. He says, can a spring produce uh, bitter water and sweet at the same time? No, it just doesn't work. At least, you know, the bitterness might work because it's still going to be bitter. Even if you put sweet water in there and there's a mixture, it all is just bitter. You have to remove the bitter to have sweet or salt water and fresh, right? And he's, and he's talking in the context of our words. You know, as believers, we don't have the option of switching back and forth. We have to choose because our words are either death or life. And we have to commit to that way of life. Now, just kind of looking at both sides, you know, just I'm going to quickly consider this aspect of death because I don't want to dwell on that. We want to go to life. That's, that's what we want. But as far as this example of death, I don't think there's any better example in the Bible than Israel in the wilderness. Well, it's one of the best anyway. You know, there were a lot of things. If you put your, yourself in a place of an Israelite and you just even wrote down, what are some good things I can talk about? <laughs> you think about all they could have talked about. They could have remarked on the miracles they were seeing. I mean, I don't know if they had miracles. It, it doesn't seem like they had miracles when they were under bondage in Egypt. But here they are. God just, bam, miracle after miracle to release them from Egypt. And then, you know, they're delivered and they're still seeing miracles on their journey. They could talk about how God physically manifested his presence in their midst. They'd never seen that before. You know, they could talk about how their clothes weren't wearing out. Uh, maybe the ladies didn't like that. I don't know if they want to make new clothes. I don't know. But, you know, their clothes weren't wearing out. It, it talks about how their feet weren't sore from walking. They didn't get swollen. They could just keep on walking. How God had given them an un unlimited supply of food. Now, they did talk about that, but just they chose to talk about it in the bad way. It's like, we're tired of this. They could have talked about the promised land that God was bringing them to. And how the key was just to stand still and see the salvation of God and follow the, the glory cloud and he's going to lead us. But out of all those things, they chose to look at their hardship. And not just to look at it, but to talk about it continually, day after day. They just talked and focused on what was hard. And that was their meat, day and night. And they fed each other with that conversation. Thing is, their words rose up to heaven. They, they didn't go unnoticed. And in Exodus, 
you know, 16, 12, that, you know, they're complaining about their lack of meat. And the Lord said, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. I have heard their complaints. You know, they might have been talking in their tents privately to their neighboring tent. You got any meat? Nope. Do you have some? Nope. Just manna. The Lord heard that. And in his graciousness, uh, well, actually, this is, this is the point where he gave them the manna, right? They were hungry, I guess. They wanted something more. And he gave them manna because he heard their complaints. Uh, and then after that, they complained the whole way through for two years straight. And it, it finally, the Lord had heard enough. And we talk about the fruit of their words. Um, and this is just after the account of the 12 spies coming back and Israel heard about the giants. And of course, they, they chose to talk about how big they were and how impossible it was to defeat them. And then they said, well, time to choose another leader. Moses isn't going to keep us safe. We're going to choose another leader and he's going to take us back to, to Egypt. And then in verse Numbers 14, 27, it says, how the Lord is saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard their complaints, and he had heard enough. And so the fruit of that complaining was that the whole generation did not enter the land. And you think about that. The whole generation did not enter their inheritance or even come close to it. They couldn't even like settle on the wrong side of Jordan. right? They didn't even have that option. It, and it all came down to the fact that how, of how they had talked about their experiences, they chose to make the hardships the defining factor of their journey instead of faith. Now, they didn't have that same word, use the same word in the same way in the Old Testament, but that concept is there. They chose not to focus on what God was saying, doing, leading, and they just looked at the hard parts. Now, Pastor Paul Karam has often said, you know, the reason why mankind is so bound and not able to contain to obtain victory is because of wrong responses and wrong confessions. You know, the grace of God is available, but our wrong responses and confessions and holding on to our hurts and and all of that, they keep us from apprehending the grace of God that he's making available to us. And, and so Israel is a big example of the power of death that comes from our, our tongue. And this is not, of course, we're just not looking at the world. Well, the world has no power, you know, to receive life. You know, they, they can be nice people, but yet they don't have the same opportunity. And we do, as believers, the power of life. But Israel... They chose death because of their response and their words and reaped a terrible fruit from that. But let's change the life. That's what we're looking for. It's what we want to focus on. It's what we desire. We desire the life that comes of the Spirit of God and what He has for us and what He's ordained. But there's a, the, the idea that that life also needs to be connected to our words to our lips, to our confession when we're in situations, especially in the hard ones, right? In the difficulties. You know, we want 
to cause our words to be aligned with God and with the faith of God. You know, as believers, we have that wonderful potential to experience and produce heavenly life through our lips. You know, as I was mentioning, unbelievers, they have no option to do that. They don't have the power within them in the sense of the Holy Spirit dwelling in them to produce life through, through faith. But we can, right? Because that divine power is in us through His Spirit. Faith can enter into our hearts and, and empower us to speak life. Now, there's times in the scripture when, you know, a right response of faith has definitive power that comes. It's produced. And, and, you know, you can't help but thinking of Paul and Silas, right? When you're talking about, well, they had a confession. They had a response that produced power. Now, in in their instance, they didn't just speak it. They sang it. But, uh, you know, here they are ministering in Asia. They're doing God's work in Asia and preaching the gospel and uh, establishing churches, you know, offering the message of salvation and grace. And they, they come to a town called Philippi. And of course, there's a young girl who's bound by Satan and he, she's compelled to follow them around proclaiming, hey, here's the, you know, the servants of God and, and so forth. And, and Paul sets her free. And what happens? Well, they take them and they beat them. And they, it says they lay many stripes on them and they throw them in prison. I don't know about you, but sometimes pain affects my mood. <laughs> I don't have a high tolerance for pain. You know, some people have a high tolerance for pain. They're like, oh, I think I can get by without Tylenol or Advil. I'm like, give me, give me. I want some Tylenol or Advil. I don't like headaches, you know. Uh, it's, you know, in certain senses, I can even lose my rejoicing spirit if, uh, if it gets too bad. You know, I've, I don't feel very spiritual. So I can't imagine what it would feel like to be whipped and have many stripes laid upon you after doing God's will. Lord, I just did what you asked me to do. What went wrong? Well, nothing went wrong. That's the pathway that God ordained for them. Um, and they were beaten and received many stripes and then put in a dark, smelly prison. But what was their response? Uh, I don't know if they felt like doing it either. They probably felt miserable. But I don't know if they looked at one another and Paul said, well, you feel like singing? Like, sure, why not? <laughs> you can only go up from here. And so they just sang. Their response, you know, it was a time of opportunity to bring life or death. They could have complained about it, but they didn't. They, they're smarter than that. They chose life, and there were, so they chose to respond. And in, in that hour, they sang praises to the Lord. They lifted up their voice at midnight. At the darkest hour, they just worshiped the Lord. And you know, that's very practical. You know, maybe they just sang a little chorus that they taught to the churches. I don't know. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't talk about that, but they, they probably sang something. Uh, but from that response came an outflow of life, of faith and power that was outwardly manifested. And what was the manifestation of that? An earthquake. 
it shook that jail. And it shook so hard, the doors opened. I don't know if they were high quality doors, but they just flew open. But it was more than that. It was the working of the spirit because all their chains fell off. You know, that it's not like they had these flimsy locks on, on there back in the day. They just fell off. They were set free. You know, and, and so it's not just the power that was significant. It was powerful. But then there was the effect of the power. Is What happened is the jailer saw that and he responded to the Lord. He opened his heart and his whole family was saved. You know, that response in their hearts produced a fruit that was life and power for them and for everyone around them saw that and experienced the power of God. And so there is that opportunity for power to flow from us in mighty ways. And we'll see what happens in the days to come. You never know. We could receive some real injustice, but when people see us praising and Worshiping the Lord, a lot of power could also be displayed. Now, as I mentioned, sometimes when we have, we, you know, we let the, the good fruit of our words and our responses flow from us, it's not always seen right away, right? The fruit is sometimes invisible um, because there's an aspect to this response and confession to our faith that it, it's a part of our preparation, in life, of God working in us. You know, Pastor Bailey used to say how heaven refers to earth, or at least the saints who have progressed on, they refer to the earth as their probationary period, right? And if we've, we've all been to some form of schooling and we know what it means to be tested and, you know, you, you have one class that prepares you for a next class and, you know, a lot of the situations that God allows us to come into are just to prepare us for the next life or to the next level of, of spiritual maturity that he wants to bring us into. And so there's a lot of testing of our responses in situations. And of course, we can look to someone who was tested to be brought to a higher level in the scriptures and uh, there's none that was tested more than Job, right? And so, in fact, in probably in the history of mankind, I mean, he was, he was tested to the, to the hilt. And so Job, in one day, he went from full and happy and blessed to everything being taken away, his flocks, his herds, and all of his children. And not just that, but it's not just something taken away, but the, the tragedy of it. You know, sometimes we hear of tragedy, and, and even in someone else's life, and it hits us, and we're like, whoa. Imagine that, the effect of that coming upon your spirit all in one day. And so it was a huge test but in reality, what was happening is that heaven was looking at his response. Right? Not just heaven, but the heavenly father was looking at his response. And in Job 121, Job's response to all of that was that, well, the Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it says in all that, Job sinned not and didn't charge God foolishly. He didn't start saying as a response, Lord, why did you do this? This is your fault, Lord. You know what? It was. But he didn't declare that because that wouldn't bring good fruit. He wanted good fruit. He wanted a right response 
because he wanted the blessing of the Lord. The thing is, is that Job, he didn't see much fruit from that. In fact, you know, from the scriptures indicate he went on many months seeing nothing, feeling nothing, just getting worse in, in his experience, you know. He flicked in his body and then three friends, well, call them friends, the friends of Job, but they weren't being very nice to him. They just came to, you know, condemn him. But he just went on in that for a time. But then something happened in heaven, right? The father saw, and if you could say this to our holy God, it's almost like he was, he was boasting in a good way. He's like of Job's right response. Have you seen my servant Job? You know, you. It's like the Lord, the Father said, "You moved him to to uh, again. You moved me against him to destroy him without cause," as the Father said to Satan. But he responded perfectly. That was pretty good fruit, you know. And and it, it and you think about that though. It wasn't just the fruit that he experienced later on of the double portion. He pleased the heart of his heavenly Father. You know, to such a high degree. And that's really what it's about. You know, we can have good fruit, but the real joy comes in pleasing the heart of our Heavenly Father because we responded in a right way. Now, of course, Job also saw uh, he got the good fruit in this life too because he got the double portion. Right? He, he continued and God was working some things out in his life to bring him to a higher level, but he received the double portion for his trial and for his right response. Now, of course, it's hard to, uh, to not consider also Caleb and Joshua when you're looking at a right response and a right confession. Right? They saw the same things as the other 10 spies. Um, you know, they, I'm sure they probably thought, well, I don't really want to mess with those giants unless the Lord's with us. But you know, they chose to look at it through eyes of faith, saying, but he is with us. And he's telling us we're going to enter this land. And if God is saying that, then he's going to fight for us. And we don't have to worry about fighting ourselves. He's more than able to give us the land and give us victory over these giants. And the Lord proclaimed over Caleb and Joshua that they had a different spirit because they had a different confession. You know, it was a spirit that where they chose to look through the eyes of of faith and through a heavenly perspective. And then they had the boldness to proclaim it, to say it. And Israel tried to stone them, but they were willing to proclaim it. And that produced good fruit so that 38 years later, they saw the, they saw the good fruit that came, that it was produced. And they entered into the land. And of course, Joshua led the people and Caleb was able to say, give me this mountain because God had promised it and he entered into his inheritance. And so those 10 spies, they're, you know, they, they reported what they saw, but they chose to look at the hardship and the negative. And they confessed it, and it brought death. But Joshua and Caleb, they're our example. They saw the same thing, but they looked through eyes of faith, and that was their confession, and it brought life. You know, it's, it's so, that proclamation of our faith is so vital you know, that it produces good fruit and life. And, you know, there's an interesting verse that kind of shows the negative of this, but in, in John 12, 42, it says this, it says, 
Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed on him, which is Christ. You know, many believed, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. You know, there were some among the rulers and the religious leaders that they believed in Jesus. And, you know, they wanted to publicly confess him, but they didn't because they're scared to. Now, Pastor uh, Tucker says something interesting. I read a quote in his book I wanted to read. And he said this. He said, The Pharisees were moved in their hearts to believe Jesus' gracious words. And a rhema, that, that faith-producing word, was planted in their being, waiting to be propelled on by their words. However, the stirring in their hearts progressed no further because they would not confess him before men. Like Esau, they opted for that which is temporal and worthless in comparison to that being offered. I thought that was so significant. These leaders, they believed, and and if a word, a rhema word of faith had been planted in their hearts because they believed in Christ, but they would not proclaim it. They would not confess it. It was waiting to be propelled and bring them into life, but they wouldn't confess it. They wouldn't say it, and they could not have the fruit of that because of it. You know, they were worried what others would think, so they stayed silent, and they lost out on that blessing. And Now, hopefully some of them became a part of the, the church later on, but they lost out on that blessing while Christ was on earth. And so in life, this is, this is such a key. And really, a lot of life comes down to what will we confess? What will we say and proclaim? Will it be unto spiritual life? Or will it be silence and we lose out on that blessing? Or will it be words that steal that life from us that lead to spiritual death? I'll close with one last thought. Because it's one that I think represents uh, what God wants to do in, in our lives, you know, in our personal lives, in our fellowship and our church as a whole. And in fact, it's what he's going to do. His will will be completed. It's just what is our part in it. Because, you know, we can be in a place like Job, um, you know, where we just feel like we're under it. We're under the the cloud of our testing and we're just seeing the, the, and feeling the pressure and the oppression and the difficulty and the effects of the enemy. And it's like a battle that we're facing and and, you know, it's a battle to see it and, and confess it, right, when we're, when we're facing such a, a difficult battle. But I, I was thinking of Ezekiel when he was taken uh, in, in Ezekiel 37, right? And that's where he's given the vision of the dry bones. And, you know, that could be our experience at times. We're not really seeing the reality of faith with our eyes. What we see is like, just a valley of dryness and the, and what used to be life, but there's no life there now. And, you know, we're not seeing the reality of faith. We just see the lack and, you know, waiting for the promises to come to pass. And the Lord says to Ezekiel in 37 and verse 3, he says, He said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? And he answered, Oh, Lord, you know. You know, he, God asks him a simple question of faith. And of course, the Lord has the power to bring that 
you know, bring life where there's death. And there's no question about that. But you get, you almost get the sense in the, in the prophet, not of disbelief, but perhaps a reluctance to, you know, proclaim life where he's only seeing death. But the Lord says, speak, prophesy to these bones, hear the word of the Lord, you shall live. And so as Ezekiel, he proclaimed that word of faith. And I, I love this description of what takes place. It says, the bones start to rattle, start to be a moving, a shaking started to take place. And, you know, you can almost kind of hear that, you hear that, you know, taking place in, in, his, in his vision. The bones just started to rattle. And then all of a sudden they just like magnets kind of like started joined together. It says bone to his bone. And they started to form and, and they were coming together, being united. And, you know, we noticed that unity is the first ingredient there to, to life. And God began to form the strength that they needed, you know, in the muscles and in the tendons and, and then probably the organs and blood and not everything was there, all the ingredients for life. And then the Lord said, command that breath, would come into them that they might live. And they received breath and they stood on their feet and they rose up and it says they rose up as an exceedingly great army. And what a wonderful picture of what God is going to do in the last days. Right? There is a, a whole host and multitude of those who are spiritually dead, but they are going to live. But what does God need? What is he looking for? He's asking for those who can flow in proclaiming his word of faith. Not just good preachers or speakers or good witnesses, people who can witness, those who can share the gospel in 30 seconds, you know, and uh, that's, those are valuable uh, abilities. He's looking for those who are flowing in a confession of faith because then life can come from them into dry bones. Life can flow and the fruit of life can develop. And so we're seeing a picture of what God wants to do in the midst of his people. He's looking for those who have a right confession of faith, those with another spirit, those who are able to look with spiritual eyes not trusting in their natural senses, not focusing on the difficulties, but God wants to put within us an ability to look from his perspective, to see from the perspective of heaven, to see what really matters, and to proclaim his word, his goodness, his promises, so that we become more than conquerors because we have overcome by the word of our testimony and confession of faith. Lord, that's our cry to you this morning. Lord, we want to be those who overcome. We want to overcome and be with you, oh God. But we recognize, Lord, that there's an aspect of our testimony that has to be in place in our lives. And Lord, we just cry out to you that, Lord, at, at times, Lord, and we even confess at times that, Lord, we speak according to what we see, with our eyes, oh God. But Lord, we pray that you would, Lord, as you did in so many in Scripture, Lord, and as you did in Caleb and Joshua, Lord, that you would give us a different spirit. Lord, give us eyes to see. 
Lord, what you are doing in eternity and what your plan and your purpose is. And Lord, what you want to accomplish in us. Lord, help us to see and to believe according to your goodness and your mercy. Lord, all that you have done for us and all that you uh, have prepared for us and what you're leading us into. And Lord, the wonderful eternity that you're offering to us. Oh Lord, and that we would speak according to that confession of faith. Oh, let that be our portion. Lord, just cleanse us, even Lord, of of past ways of speaking, of past ways of, of talking. Lord, that our lips would be purified. Lord, as you purified Isaiah, oh, would you purify our lips, that our confession would be of pure faith. Oh Lord, purified like that incense, so that our words could rise up to you unto heaven and that they would be so such a pleasing aroma in your in your uh, in your senses oh god lord as as job's confession rose up to you and was pleasing do that work in us we pray and we thank you for it we bless you and we love you in jesus name amen <laughs>